Hello and welcome to the Winging It podcast, episode 36. Eight scary stories from travelling. So as it is October the 31st, I thought I'd keep in theme with a bit of Halloween with some scary stories from my past travels. I picked out eight that I don't think I've said too much before in other episodes. So they're quite brand new in terms of uh, me telling them. And also I think they go in line with the scary theme that we have. I was going to do uh, a Cook Islands podcast today, but I thought um, I'd save it for the next solo episode, which won't be until mid to late November now. I've got a few guests lined up in the next couple of weeks. Um, so we'll crack on with some scary stories. Um, this is not to put you off any travelling. This is a bit of reality that sometimes travelling, things can happen. And... Um, yeah, I don't think this should put you off. I think this is just a, you know, a good story for when you come back home and tell your mates. So I'll crack on with scary story number one. Right, gunshots in Barcelona. Yeah, that's what you heard. So travelling to Barcelona with um, my ex-girlfriend in, ooh, I can't remember the year now, 2000 and let's go 15 um, we were in Barcelona on Las Ramblas, which is the uh, the major sort of like big street in Barcelona. That everyone goes to is kind of like the Oxford Street, I guess, of London, um, but of Barcelona. So anyway, we're down in, in Las Ramblas. I think we're just milling about, wandering up, and then towards the top of Las Ramblas, there is um, a metro station, and the stairs go down to the metro station, and there's some police hanging around. Now I don't really know what's going on. Um, but there's some guys hanging around there who I think in Barcelona especially you get a lot of um, pickpockets but also a lot of people trying to sell you stuff all the time so I think it's a bunch of those guys just hanging about obviously some people complained about them and police were hanging around and then before you know it you hear that sort of ricochet sound that comes off the um, pavement or a bit of concrete and for a second you're like that sounds like something coming out of somewhere and ricocheting off near me. And as we looked around before we know it, some people shouted a few things and the first thing that comes to your mind is like, oh, bloody hell, that's a gunshot. So instantly everyone legged it. Um, so we sort of legged it to our left and sort of got like halfway down that's around, that's quite extreme, but like maybe 400, 500 metres down the road and sort of like popped into a shop through the door I sort of like stayed in there really because we didn't know really where to go so that was a bit scary because you don't know where it's coming from where it's going to who was doing it and it may not have been that but the way people reacted um, made it seem like it was a bit of a gunshot but I definitely hear the ricochets uh, before that and instantly I just thought bloody hell what is that um, I've heard gunshots before so yeah that was a bit scary I had to sort of like sort of place ourselves in that shop for I don't know five ten minutes and everyone's like wondering if it's safe to go out so yeah that's the first scary story of number one in Barcelona uh, scary story number two the Venuatu hotel slash prison uh, I think me and my current partner Emma have discussed this on another episode a little bit um, but I think it's worth <laughs> telling again because it did feel like we're staying in prison. So, Vanuatu, we're trying to leave. 
and our flight gets delayed by over a day. Now, not ideal. Um, they weren't very helpful. Um, they're advising us to leave. We had nowhere to go. Nothing, nothing booked, obviously, because we're flying out that night. And this poor family that we met, um, they had connections from Vanuatu all the way to London. Thankfully, through the same airline, I think it was Qantas, I think we were flying with. But they had to get on the phone and like try and rearrange or try and change all their, I think, three or four connections to London. Absolute nightmare. But we started talking to that family and they advised us that um, there is somewhere near the airport that we can stay in. But very nicely, they offered us a lift. I think the guy was on the phone and the woman who um, had the kids sort of told us to jump in and she dropped us off at this place. Now, this is kind of near like a group of shops. And we go in, a semi-normal entrance. And this guy says, yeah, it's going to cost us much to stay here. Um, How long do you need? Oh, we're just here for the night because the flight's been cancelled. We'll be out very early next morning. He's like, yeah, no problems. Cannot remember how much it costs. Definitely too much for what we experienced. And as we walked up the stairs, you sort of see flickerings of light. Now, you might think I'm making this up, but as we went up the stairs, there was like this hallway and it was dark apart from the flickering lights. Like they're coming on and off. It was like a scary movie or something. So we're like, oh, that's a bit weird. And he's like... "Um." Go all the way down, and before you get to the toilet, there's a room you left, here's the number of the door, and you go in there. So we're sort of like looking around, and it's just like going down a deserted hospital. Uh, rooms were empty, flickers of light, no one there. Um, went to the toilet, dripping water, tap, the taps didn't even work. Then so we found our door number, put the key in, and it was absolutely boiling hot, um, better are too, and it this place obviously had no aircon. I don't even think there was a fan. I went into this room, no windows, a cardboard bed with the thinnest mattress you can imagine, and bloody hell, it was grim. We felt a little bit unnerving, like no one around, what is this place? Um, and we sat there and we had, we're starving hungry, but there's nowhere open now because it's late at night. We somehow had snack type of food, like, bit of bread some chocolate and we munched away but we did not sleep a wink that night because we were just scared of where we were, we were like where the hell is this place like who anyone here no no one went to the toilet had to go in pairs um, didn't dare go on our own the lights in the toilet didn't work and all we're thinking is the only light that does work is in our room and there was a TV I think I'm not sure if it works but that was the only entertainment we had but we just did not sleep um, a bit stressed from the flight, but also a bit scared of this hotel. Um, but yeah, and yet the only people that we saw was, I think we ventured back down the corridor um, and we saw a group of, uh, I think an Asian group having dinner downstairs like as a group, but that was all we saw. And um, I would highly recommend not staying at this hotel. I don't know what it's called, but it's right near the airport with a group of shops. Um, so hopefully your flight won't get cancelled there. Um, thankfully and quite nice of them the family that was in a bit of trouble with the flights connecting they offered to pick us up um, the next morning I think we arranged 5am we had no way to contact them um, no phone signal and or sim card um, it was it's one of those moments where you agree a time 
outside the hotel to the airport. The flight next morning is, I don't know, 7 a.m. You can't really afford for it to go wrong. Yeah, we could have walked, but there's going to be a period of time there. Like, are they still coming to pick us up? If not, we've got to get a move on. And we sort of like hopped out of the room, no sleep, with our bags, waited outside in the dark, no one about. And then this Jeep hopped up and then they were. And they took our bags and took us to the hotel. First question was, what was the hotel like? And we showed them some pictures and they just couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> um, I think they're a bit shocked as well how bad it was. Um, I think they actually lived there. Um, I did wonder if they thought they should have offered uh, us to go back with them. But they had kids and that's fair enough, you know. They've got to sort their own stuff out. Um, so that was that. That was scary story number two, the prison hotel. What a wonder. Okay, scary story number three. Um the plane ride over to Cook Islands. Now, in New Zealand, on our work permit, we had one year there, and we've always been told by a few of people that we know, you've got to go to Cook Islands, it's absolute paradise. I had already been to Fiji, and I can certainly say that is an awesome place to go for beaches. Um, but this place looks less busy, uh, more remote, and it's more towards um, Bora Bora and you know, that sort of heaty area. Anyway, go to the airport. We've got a cheap flight. So this air, this flight is like ridiculous time. I'm, I'm saying it's like 10, 30 p.m. You know, it's only like $100 over, but you do pay for the inconvenience of time. And for some reason, even though I was sort of starting to go vegetarian at that point, I smashed in um, a Big Mac at the airport in New Zealand. And... Never had really any problems. Big Mac, chips, Coke, and maybe a coffee as well. And as we approached um, sort of takeoff, my stomach is not the best. And I started to feel a bit of, bit of gut rot coming in. And um, first thing you know, I'm straight to the toilet. And when you go, you know, right? When you look down, it's like, oh, where? That's not too solid. And then I couldn't stop going. And then we had no modium. And there's that that awful sort of period of time where the flight leaves in 45 minutes an hour and you're repeatedly going and your stomach's going and you're just shitting out fluid, basically. Absolutely grim. But I started to worry because when you get on the flight, from the time that you get on the actual plane, put your bags away, you're supposed to buckle up, right? That wasn't a problem because you sort of get away of getting to the toilet. But the problem I had was... That 20 minutes when it's buckled in, no one's allowed up. And what happens if I'm going to shit myself? I was like, bloody hell, this is grim. So I went. As, I probably went six or seven times. We got on the flight and I was just like sitting there almost praying really that um, I'd have to go again. Maybe I was too nervous. Maybe I was concentrating on myself. But amazingly, didn't go again. Now, this is not the scary part. The scary part is we took off. Uh, up we go. It's about... A, Ooh, I'm gonna say three or four hour flight. Immediately, the captain comes on and says, "Oh, this could be a little bit bumpy coming out." So, oh, brilliant, a bit of turbulence. No dramas. Felt it before, but we'll deal with it. But this turbulence was the worst I've ever witnessed. Now, there's turbulence when you're sort of going up and down a little bit, um, side to side. Um, not too bad. But this turbulence is when it goes up and it drops, and it's dropping like feels like ten, twenty meters. And let's go back up again and it's dropping. It kept doing this for 20 minutes and this was scary as fuck. You literally think you're going to go down. That's it. Um, we had the 
this girl in front of you sort of said, oh, I've experienced worse. I'm like, oh, bloody well, I haven't. Um, Emma was shitting herself next 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 to me in the seat. I think she was about to be sick as well. Um, so it's the right card here. Like, I'm trying to not go to the toilet again. Emma's been sick from the turbulence. Everyone's kind of freaking out a little bit. We also got the added thing is thing in there where this couple had this kid. Um, the kid wasn't strapped in in time. Um, well, properly anyway, in terms of the turbulence, and they fell over and had to get the doctor to go and look at the kid. It was an absolute nightmare for, for playing over. But yeah, the scary part was the turbulence that dropped. Um, I've never experienced anything like it since or as bad as that. But um, yeah, I don't experience that again. So yeah, extreme turbulence kind of cost us there. But Cook Islands made up for it. Amazing place. And I will do an episode of the Cook Islands next time on this solo episode. Um, you can check out my TikTok actually while we're here, James Hammond Travel, um, or Instagram, either one, James Hammond Travel, where I've done like a little montage of the Cook Island beaches that we went to and the stuff that we did. Um, but I'm going to go into more depth of where we went and what you can do there, where you can stay, where you can eat, activities you can do as well. So I'll crack on with that next time. Scary story number four. Uh, a bit of a short one, this one. Euro 2012 football. Me and a few mates drove from London to Ukraine um, all the way to Donetsk actually in the east of Ukraine plan was to take I think three and a half to four days to get there and we will do a week or so in Ukraine for the tournament and then drive back now driving through we get to Poland now the car we have is a Land Rover Discovery it's got an England flag at the back it's clear we're England fans we're going to the Euros everyone would see and know who we are I was in the front seat and my friend uh, Tishaw was driving next to me. I was stopped at these traffic lights and there's a really small town. Uh, I think it's outside somewhere major, but very small town. And uh, Tishaw decides to glance over to the car next to us at the traffic lights. And he's like, Hamo, no need to look to the left, but the guy next to us in the other car at traffic lights is going absolutely nuts at us. He is swearing He's got his fingers up the whole lot. I'm going to have to lock my door here because I don't trust he's not going to come and go for us. Absolutely no idea why he's doing it. Maybe he's antagonised by the flag. Maybe it's a bit of football competition or a bit of rivalry. Who knows? But I didn't actually look across because I didn't want to antagonise the situation anymore. But Tisha was like, right, as soon as the shuffle lights go, we're going to burst them out of here. But yeah, he described it as this guy was frothing at the mouth. So no idea what was happening there. Locked the doors and just carried on with our day. There's that. I think traffic uh, anger is kind of something that is underrated. I remember when, sort of tag on to this one, when I was younger, I was driving around in Norwich where I'm from. And this guy in his Porsche um, was next to me at the roundabout and I was in my sort of like four feet, uh, four focus, I think it was at the time. And I actually absolutely burned him on the outside and then cut him up in the inside, like almost like a boy racer type thing. I'm not, not proud of it. So you do that when you're younger than you. And cut him up, um, burned him off a little bit. And the next roundabout, a bit of a cue happened. I thought none the wiser. You just do that, that sort of thing. And I look in my mirror and this guy's got out of this car. I'm like, oh, bloody hell. And for some reason, I don't know why, I went down my window and he's like threatened to hit me. He goes to hit me. I'm like, what is this guy on? Um, I was only probably like 17, 18 at the time. But yeah, this guy was in mid-40s, saying I'm an idiot, 
blah, 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 got out of his car. So, yeah, pretty scary as well. And so, yeah, kind of drive. I don't have much luck with driving with kind of that sort of stuff, but um, there you go. Driving stuff, not brilliant. Scary story number five. Um, my friend Spaxi making friends with drug dealers. Now, this is in Barbados, and we went to watch cricket, um, England versus West Indies. England just lost the series, grim performance in Barbados. Um, so afterwards, we all went, um, sort of like there's a main area in Barbados where the expats go for like a bit of a night out, had a few daiquiris, went to this karaoke bar. And England fans were like milling about there and us as well. And then a few beers are sunken down and so so with them as well. And we sort of get chatting about the cricket. I think Spax is kind of saying we've lost because of a few players. And they get really arsy about what Spax's opinions are about the cricket. And I think they're part of the Barmy Army. And the Barmy Army got a reputation a bit, bit pally with England players. And they don't like to hear, I won't say slag them off, but like give them a bit of grief about the performance. They think they're their friends, but they're not. They're just a bit weird. Anyway, Spaxi starts saying what he really thinks. These England fans start to get a bit aggro. So, on the dance floor, a bit of to and fro in, in terms of opinions flying about, we sort of retreat back to sit down a bit further back from the um, dance floor. Now, you can see that the England fans like point us out or whatever. They're idiots, blah, blah, blah. Next to us is a group of locals. And we start speaking to them. And we, I can't remember the guy, their names. There's like two or three of them. And they um, caught on to Spaxi's name. Spaxi. They loved it. They found it funny. Spaxi. And we sort of, oh, you know, what are you guys doing here? They're like, oh, you know, just uh, seeing you guys want to have a bit, you know, a bit of a good time. We're like, oh, yeah, we, you know, got on the booze and stuff. He's, oh, no, he goes, other stuff. So, all oh, right, okay. A few drug dealers there just hanging around in case we want to buy, or England fans want to buy stuff off them. Fair enough. None of our business, but started chatting. Nice lads, whatever. And then I think a bit more aggro happens and the Barmy Army or some part, some geezers part of it wants to come over to kind of almost kick us out and kick Spaxi out. Maybe Spaxi's one of them up with a bit more grief, I don't really know. But it kind of got to the point where the England fans were telling us and telling us to get out and get a bit aggro. Um, and the truck leaders turned up and went, hey, leave Spaxi alone. And they kind of stuck up for Spaxi and started like, bloody hell, like, we've got drug dealers like, backing us up here we've got our own fans having a go at us here and Spax is like in the middle between the two it's quite funny um, a bit scary the scary part I guess is that we have a group of fans that are a bit angry at us and probably I'm not going to start a fight but I get into that sort of like sort of stage and drunkenness where they you know, don't know what they're doing but also we've got a group of like local drug dealers backing us up so a bit weird quite funny um, I think it did calm down a bit in the end until we left um, but yeah that was a bit of a scary part on the night out Okay, scary story number six, the Wellington earthquake. Yeah, not too, pretty self-explanatory really, not too long into our time in Wellington. Uh, we just moved into our house share on Tasman Street, which is near the Basin Cricket Ground. And one night, normal night, you just go to bed, blah, blah, blah. Probably about 2 or 3 a.m. You just wake up and we are shaking left to right. And I'm like, this is a dream. I'm trying to stop the bed from shaking. And then we both realised, bloody hell, this is an earthquake. Not very big. I'm talking five to six on the Richter scale, maybe even less than that. Um, but enough to shake the house. And bloody hell, that was scary. Like, Christ, like you can't do nothing about it. It's quite hard to explain. When you're, if you've never experienced an earthquake, when you're sat there or you're standing there or whatever you're doing, you are powerless. 
nature is going to crack on here and there's nothing you can do about it. And because we never experienced it before and we're in our bedroom, you, you go through like this thought process, like, oh, maybe I can stop it. And you're trying to grab stuff and like stop it from shaking. And you think, oh, shit, no, it's the ground. You can't do anything about that. And then you start thinking, well, how long is it going to go on for and how big is it going to get? And um, I think we had a few of those in Wellington, but this particular one was the strongest one. But the funny thing is, next morning went to work, and a little bit of chat about it. Oh, yeah, that's a little one. Nothing to worry about. But bloody hell, like, we're shaking left to right. Thought we were going to die. Um, that was that. Wellington earthquake. I can I can see why places like New Zealand, where, like, Christchurch obviously had it bad, why people are scared of earthquakes, because they are pretty scary. I mean, tornadoes can see it coming hurricanes get a warning you get out um whilst that wildfires a bit grim but you kind of got an opportunity to go but earthquakes no one knows it's coming it's instant it's random you have no idea what you're going to do about it and you don't you have no idea if it's gonna be quiet or kind of like not as powerful as you think it could be or it could be what they call a big one where it's going to shake the whole earth to to pieces so we get told regularly here in Vancouver that they're waiting for the big one to come whatever that means but let's hope we get out of here before that happens okay scary story number seven not really traveling just before traveling this is just before the Euro 2012 road trip um, living in London and I was mugged now I think most people living in London probably have one of these stories um, from what I can gather can't stand London it's a grim place um the only thing I'd say is good with London is if you're going to visit and you're staying in central London and um, some trendy parts in sort of like the SW1 or E1 or N1, stick to the ones and the postcodes and you'll be fine. But I was living in between Acton and Shepherd's Bush and um, I went to meet a friend that night, came back quite late to the house, which was in East Acton, and all my friends were at a party. Now... I am not f- too fussed with parties. I like them, not too bad. It's a it's a struggle for me to go to one in, in normal times in terms of like, I don't know, going at six or seven, a bit pre-drinking. But this was like towards midnight. Uh, I don't really know what possessed me to go out. But yeah, got my coat, dropped some stuff off, um, got my phone, uh, got my keys and my wallet and head off. Now I was walking from East Acton into the thick of it in Acton, like Central Acton. Acton is grim absolutely grim area and probably somewhere you shouldn't be walking at night so I popped um, across to the main road which is the Uxbridge Road heading down not really caring the world had a few drinks already but uh, just not not really anything going on and then suddenly uh, I'm on the left hand side of the road by bus shelter and these two guys just out of nowhere cornered me and I was like oh they're like oh what you got I was like nah excuse me mate I'm just going to walk past I just didn't even contemplate what was going on. And one sort of pushed me back and said, no, mate, this is a mugging. Now, I want you to be quiet. Any word said, um, there's going to be trouble. I was like, oh, fuck's sake. Um, at this point, he also was kind of pointing something towards my chest. Now, I assume it was a knife. Um, it looked pretty pointy. So instantly, I was like, oh, for God's sake. You sort of go into a state of shock. Now, I had one guy who was a little, maybe a little bit taller than me, pretty built but he was kind of almost like watching and the smaller guy who had the knife doing the chat 
And he's like, oh, you got any cash? And they're like, nah, mate. So, oh, well, I don't believe it, so you can check if you want. So he checked my pockets, got my wallet out, absolutely nothing there. A few bank cards, uh, an Oyster card, and maybe my driving license, I think. And that was it. Absolutely no cash. He's like, oh, what smartphone you got? Smartphone? He goes, yeah, what phone you got? I was like, oh, nah, mate, I've got a, got a page to go, photo phone phone, gave it to him. You can have that. And I think he started to realise at this point, oh, this is the worst mugging in the world. I've, I've literally got nothing. And then he gets my keys out. I'm like, oh, arguably, probably most worth something the most. Like, all he has to do is take my keys, ask where I live, um, and then he can, well, he can ask where I live or take me to where I live, either one. Um, if it had asked me, I would have given him a random address. If he insisted on taking me, then what do I do? Do I just do it anyway? Um, and whilst all this is happening, I'm, I'm considering like, do I fight back here? Do I push that guy over? Do I give that guy a bit of a kick in? Never really got in a fight before. I'm going through this in my mind. I'm weighing up. I was like, I ain't got anything. I just need to get through it and, and let him go. So therefore, takes my phone, gives me my keys back. Cheers, mate. And takes a wallet. The bus is then coming to my bus shelter. So he uses my Oyster card to get on the bus. But before he gets on the bus, he says to me, right, no noise here. What's your pin for your card? I'm like, yeah, right. So I gave him a random number. And then the other guy comes back and said, oh, I've forgotten it. What, what's the number again? I was like, fuck, I don't remember what I said. Gave him another random number. He's like, oh, yeah, that's it. I was like, oh, mate, you're thick as shit. So, yeah, absolutely nothing. Uh, Use my Oyster card. And he got caught on the camera in the bus. They've been doing it to numerous other amounts of people. And he actually got... um put away I think they both got put away actually I kind of kind of feel like a bit cowardly I didn't go to court didn't want any aggro didn't, didn't press charges I think the police were a bit annoyed at that but when you weigh it all up it's not even worth the aggro so I um, yeah the only thing that's pretty scary about that is that he used my phone to call my mum and my nan this is about 2am in the morning and I think he'd done this um because they woke up and said, oh, we had a missed call from you that night. And obviously they didn't answer. But imagine if they did. No no idea what this guy was going to say. Um, yeah, then I had sort of a bit of anxiety for like two or three weeks. Like, I didn't really go out. Um, didn't really eat. Um, I was kind of a bit of a mess, really. Um, went back to Norwich, kind of recuperate, really. And get out of London. So that was a pretty scary experience. And, and these things can happen when you travel as well. You need to be pretty switched on. And be in groups, really. And don't walk around at night on your own in the middle of, like, something like London. Nah, no chance. Uh, I think to finish on that story, I think since then, there was actually a cash point right by the bus shelter. So, a bit of luck there. If that happened again, I guess I'd have marched with the cash point and got £10 out, which kind of which I already had at that time. So, yeah, that's that. London mugging, scary number seven. Story number seven. Number eight, last one. Dehydration in northern Chile at Moon Valley. I think I've discussed this a little bit before with Lewis Huxtable on one of my episodes. But we biked out in terms of bicycle from the San Pedro de Atacama town to Moon Valley. Probably about 45 minutes ride in the driest desert in the world. No water. Didn't take any water. Can you believe that? And we um, rode up. And I, I just did not drink water in those days. 
as we got there, I was like, bloody hell, like, starting to get a bit thirsty, a bit knackered. And I was like, oh, maybe there'd be a shop there to go and buy water. And we reached this outpost bit, and this guy, I think he's like a park ranger or something, was like, no, no shops here. Have you got any water? We're like, no. He goes, why not? I'm like, yeah, great question. So we carried on. Not too bad at this point. Went to Sawmoon Valley, went in the cracks of the rocks, done a bit of a climb, a bit of a walk, got a few photos, brilliant. On the way back, the wind's against us and the wind is against my lips and they're really dry and I'm really parched now to the point where me and Lewis are struggling here. I'm like, can we even make it back to the town? And it's flat as a pancake, so you can kind of see in the distance how far you've got to go. It was a bit of a trek. I'm like, oh, bloody hell. And you never seen me bike as quick as that. It was like Bradley Wiggins. I was smashing it down the highway, kind of leaving Lewis a little bit for dead. I was like, I'm not having this. I need to get back. So, rode back. We eventually got back onto the edge of town. The first shop we got to, I was like, right, I need a drink. And you're thinking, yeah, grab a water, smash it down. Nope. What do we do? Yeah, two bottles of Coke. Smash that down in an instant. Loved it. So that's my scary story of dehydration. Um, yeah. So there we go. Halloween fiends. Uh, yeah, a few bits and pieces in there. I've heard a few other scary stories from other people um, while I was travelling, but I thought I'd do a few of my own um, to get them out there. And I'd love to know what you think is the scariest one out of the eight. Um, if you can let me know in the comments when I release this podcast on the Monday. So I hope you enjoyed the scary stories. Um, next time on the Winging It podcast, um, a week tomorrow, I have a guest coming on. We're going to talk a lot about India, uh, the Maldives. We're going to talk a bit about Australia, Asia, a bit of Europe as well. Hong Kong is going to be featured in that as well. So I'm looking forward to that chat. Um, I can't wait to get those experiences on record as well. So um, as per usual, I'm on Instagram, I'm on TikTok, on Facebook now. Um, download across the all the platforms, links on my website or on my or on those pages. And I look forward to hearing you um, tell me your favourite story from that eight today. Take care, stay safe, and I'll see you next time. Ciao. Thank you for listening to my Winging It podcast today. You can check out my website, jameshammond.org, for all the links to all the platforms for your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify. There's a contact form on the homepage for you to get in contact for anything you want me to discuss to do with travelling. Don't forget to check out my Instagram page, James Hammond Travel, where I post daily about my last 10 years of travelling, travelling, and more travelling. Finally, please rate the podcast. I really appreciate it if you can rate it. Leave some comments, and I'd love to read them. Stay safe, happy listening, happy reading, and be inspired. <laughs>